Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church and visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our senior pastor, Nate Holdridge. It says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God, verse 17, desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that, verse 18, by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray again together. Father, we thank you for your holy word. Thank you for speaking it to us, making sure that it was written down and recorded for us and then preserved throughout human history that we might, Lord, today benefit from it as we learn of you and of your ways in our lives. And we ask, Lord, and pray that this anchor of the soul that we have, this hope that is ours, that's behind the curtain, the great forerunner, Jesus Christ, we ask, Lord, and pray that this would bring comfort and confidence into our lives today. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We rejoice in you. And we ask that you'd help us by your spirit now. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen. Amen. Yesterday, I was walking with Christina. And thank you for those of you who have asked how Christina's doing. She's getting a lot better. She had a pretty significant back injury right before the new year. And she hasn't had to have surgery. She's moving around. She's just getting better and better as the weeks go by. She can't like fully run yet or anything. But we were out for a big walk yesterday. She's feeling good and can do most of her normal life activities. So we're so glad about that. And we're just praying for a full recovery for her. But anyways, we were out uh, walking around. And uh, we came by our neighbor's house and they were out in the front of their house and so we started chatting with them a little bit before we went back into our home and we live near the airport so as we're talking all of a sudden we look up in the air and there's the blimp is up there the good the good year blimp it's kind of scary you know like you're just kind of there hanging out and then all of a sudden there's this huge blimp in the sky and they looked at each other and they said oh no the ducks and I, I had no idea what that meant, you know, like the ducks. And then they explained to us, they said, we own ducks, they're in our backyard, and they're terrified of everything that's in the sky, you know? So a plane flies by, a bird flies by, they just think it's Armageddon, and it, they're going to die, you know? So, so they said, you know, these ducks, they're just cowering in the corner because this blimp, you know, coming by. 
And as we walked away, I just thought to myself, that is so like us human beings. Scared of things that cannot harm us. Figments of our imagination, but that paralyze us. That bring us to a place where our reality today is affected because of what we think could happen, might happen, but hasn't yet happened. In the passage in front of us today, the author wants to talk to us about a reality. A reality that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, that he has gone into heaven before us, and that before he went, he gave but also fulfilled an ancient promise that we are partaking of still today. And that if we know that promise, if we believe that promise, if we're confident in that promise, then today we will be a people whose lives are characterized by hope and confidence in the Lord. In other words, what he has done affects our psyche, our experience today. And as we're going through this passage, what I hope that you will do is I hope you will be asking the Holy Spirit some questions about your own life. I hope you'll ask the Lord with honesty, do I have peace? Am I calm before you? Do I trust you with the affairs of my life? Am I allowing the promise that you have made to me, and we're going to look at that promise as we go through this, but am I allowing the promise that you have made to me impact my experience today to bring faith and trust and peace into my life? I think a theme for this passage would be simply this. Believers should hold fast to God's promise regarding their future. And that hope regarding tomorrow should anchor their lives today. All right, so let's think about this whole thing in a few different ways. I'm going to show you five things from this passage. Number one is this, God made a promise. Number one, God made a promise. I'm going to read it to you again in verse 13 and 14, but it says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. All right, now, now God made a promise is the first thing that I want you to consider. And what I want you to do is I want you, you know, I, I know how we sometimes read the Bible. You read about God making a promise to Abraham and you think, oh, that's cool for whoever that guy Abraham was. I think God also made me some promises. Here's what I think they might be. But I don't want you to do that this morning. What, what I want you to do is to think with me for a second about the promise that God made to Abraham. Because the promise he made to Abraham is the promise he made to you and to me that is supposed to, if I could say it like this, calm us down today. It's not some other promise that you feel God may have made to you, but it is the promise that God made to Abraham. So bear with me for a second as I explain this promise that God made to this man. First of all, some of you guys are here today and I'm sure you're saying to yourself, who in the world is Abraham. He's kind of a big deal when it comes to human history. <laughs> there was a moment after the Noahic flood, as the world was you know, becoming repopulated, 
that God looked and chose a man named Abram, who he renamed Abraham, and chose that through his line, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. In fact, this is what he said to Abraham initially. Genesis 12, verse 3, he said, In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Uh, The promise was of a big family, lots of descendants, uh, and that through his line, all the families of the earth would be blessed. The problem was that Abraham, Abraham didn't have any children, him and his wife Sarah. They had no children. Years later, in Genesis 15, God reaffirmed the promise by saying that his offspring would be like the stars in the sky, and that's the place where it says that Abraham believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So God was making these big promises to him about the future and about his line, about his family, and he believed it, and God gave him righteousness, deposited righteousness into his account because of that faith. But what the author to the Hebrews does is he quotes from a promise that God made to Abraham, not at the beginning of his life and not at the beginning of his walk with God, but closer to the end after he finally had a son named Isaac who was probably in his 20s by the time God reaffirmed this promise to him again in Genesis chapter 22. And this is what I want you to listen to from this promise. God said back in that passage, I will surely bless you, Genesis 22 verse 17, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So here's the question. What was the promise that God made to this ancient man named Abraham? The promise was very simple. God would bless him. God would multiply him. And that multiplication would lead to the blessing of the nations. All right, now hold on a second. Let's hit the pause button on this little thought about Abraham. Here we have this promise from God. I'm going to multiply you, and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And it's easy for us now to look backwards and see a world that you could say is partly divided because there are three main religions that have roots in Abraham. Got Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. So here's the deal. If God's promise is true, and if the Bible is true in that a devil and evil exists, then we would assume that there would be a devil who is working overtime to try to make the planet think Abraham was not a blessing, but Abraham was a curse. If we just deleted him, we'd have peace and harmony here on earth. You see, I think all of that chaos, all of that, uh, you know, strife in between uh, different people groups here on earth that are connected to Abraham, I think some of that is connected to the very truth of what God was promising. Satan has come against that promise of God time and time again. Okay, but here's the real promise that God made to this man. It wasn't just a big family. It wasn't just lots of people. It was something very specific. That ultimately his offspring would be the one who would bless 
all the nations. Listen to how Paul thought of it in Galatians 3, verse 16. He said, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. And this is what he says. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. In other words, it would be wrong to think that the way that God was going to make Abraham a blessing to the world was through the sheer numbers of his offspring, but one particular individual who would be considered the offspring of Abraham. And Paul makes it clear that that one particular individual, who, who is that individual class? It's Jesus, all right? So he's the one who would fulfill that promise. So the promise of Abraham is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now look, in that promise that all the nations of the earth would be blessed, what that means is that Jesus would come as the king, but he would come with a kingdom. I want to read to you another passage from the Old Testament about this kingdom. I realize it's a lot of scriptures I'm throwing at you right now, but just try to bear with me for a moment. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44 says this, that there will be days when the other kings of the world, the God of heaven will overthrow and set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It, that kingdom, shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. The kingdom that Daniel received a prophecy about is the kingdom that Jesus Christ brought into spiritual existence at the cross of Jesus, and one day when he returns again, will bring into visible, literal existence. This is the promise that God made to Abraham. There is going to be a descendant that comes from you, Abraham, and he's going to establish a kingdom that is going to lead to the blessing of all nations. If you believe in him, if you trust him, all things will be made new through and by him. That is the promise, okay? So that's the first thing I wanted you to see. God made a promise. He made a promise. Now let's move on back in Hebrews chapter 5, or excuse me, chapter 6, and consider some additional steps. So God made a promise. You know, you might be sitting there saying today, you might say to yourself today like, Nate, you could have just said, God sent his son and promised that heaven would come for those who believe in him. It would have just been much quicker and shorter for you to say that. And I could have, but I didn't, all right? So <laughs> I got the microphone. It's just the way it goes. All right. Number two, think about this. God's promise, that promise, it's worth waiting for. God's promise is worth waiting for. Look at it in verse 15 of chapter 6. It says, And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. There came a moment in his life where he entered into God's eternal city. Now Abraham, as he patiently waited, he really did. He, he, he had to endure waiting for God to fulfill his promise. You could say in one sense that even at his death, he had not received the actual experience of the promise that God made to him, but that he had received it by faith. Because all he had was Isaac, 
And then 62 years after Isaac was born, he had a couple of grandchildren, but he did not have like the stars in the sky, and of course Christ had not yet come from his family line. But by faith he received it, he obtained it, because he patiently waited. Look, if you want to live this Christian life, there, is going, there are going to be moments where you are required to patiently wait. It might be in your prayers. As you cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it might require great patience for you as you continue to pray about different pockets that are broken and different people that you'd love to see come into God's family. You might have to patiently endure through trials, difficulties, pains, hurts. You might have to patiently endure with hope that God has put in your heart, a calling, a desire, a ministry. And you might have to patiently endure in different parts of your sanctification. What that means is that we are trying, we want to grow into increased Christ-likeness, but have you ever been frustrated at how slow that process is at times in your own self. If you've never felt a frustration with how slow it is in your own self, I guarantee you've been frustrated by how it's slow in somebody else. <laughs> Just reverse that around and aim it in your direction. That's that experience of patiently waiting for different victories, breakthroughs, areas of transformation. But Abraham was a man who patiently waited. How did he do this? How did he wait? Well, one way that he waited was with faith. I already talked about that. He believed in the Lord. He trusted the Lord. Genesis 15, verse 6, he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. If you want to live this Christian life, there are going to be times where you have to wait by faith. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, that we live by faith, not by sight. There are just going to be times where what you see what you experience, the way that you're viewing things and what's coming into your life that cannot be what you are basing everything on, your feelings upon, but you've got to live and walk by faith. In fact, that's part of what the book of Hebrews is about, that Jesus is no longer walking with us here on earth, but he's, he's ascended, he's in heaven. We are going spiritually, so to speak, behind the veil to get his help and aid. Abraham not only waited with faith, but he also waited with a little bit of failure, don't you think? Some of you read that line there, you know, that he patiently endured, and some of you are like, well, now hold on a second, uh-uh. He did not patiently endure. There were times that he failed in his waiting for God. Times where he ran down to Egypt and feared before foreign kings or did not wait for his wife to become pregnant, but took a slave girl and, and impregnated her in an attempt to fulfill God's promises. And we might look at that and say, he did not wait. He did not patiently wait. But the Lord looks upon his life and says, even though he had lapses where he did not wait well, in general, this man in the sight of God patiently waited for God's promises to be fulfilled in his life. There might be some times where you need to cut someone else or you need to cut yourself a little bit of slack in the way that you're waiting for the Lord. Sometimes you'll do it well. Sometimes you're going to freak out and panic and stress out and you'll just melt down into a puddle of tears and you need someone else to pull you up and say, look, God is going to help you. God is going to strengthen you. 
Abraham also, as he waited, he waited for a long time. 25 years went by from the time that the promise was first given to the time that Isaac was born. And like I said, another 62 years passed before Isaac had any grandchildren for Abraham. And he only lived 15 years while some of his grandchildren walked the earth. He had to endure patiently for a very long time to enter into the promises that God had for his life. I'm sure you didn't come here this morning hoping that the pastor would tell you that sometimes you have to wait for a really long time. But that's the reality in the Christian life. That there is a hope that we have in what the Lord is doing in our lives. That, and that hope helps us combat so much of the worldliness that is pressing against us that says, take it right now. Have it right now. Instead of saying, no, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for what the Lord is doing. And here's another way that Abraham waited. He waited while other people did not have to wait. And while other people around him prospered. There's this little passage at the end of Genesis chapter 22, which is a famous Mount Moriah passage where he takes Isaac up onto the hill. God said, give me your son, sacrifice your son, your only son Isaac. God never really wanted Isaac as a human sacrifice, but his own son would be the one that was given as a sacrifice for the sin of the world. But he was testing Abraham's faith. Abraham will learn in chapter 11 of Hebrews, believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead because the promise had to come to pass through Isaac. He was that convinced at that moment in his life. But after that moment with God on that mountaintop, God reaffirmed his promise to Abraham. But just as quick as the promise had been reaffirmed by God, it tells us in Genesis 22 that a messenger came, a human messenger. God speaks to him. I've got a promise for you. I've got a thing I'm doing for you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. Your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky. I'm going to bless your life through your seed. All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. You're going to have a big family. You know, Just as soon as he heard that promise, a human messenger showed up and gave him news about his brother, a guy named Nahor. And as they brought news about Nahor, they said, and Nahor, he's married to a woman, and here's her name, and they had eight kids. And then he, the messenger keeps going, and also he has a servant girl, and they had four kids. And there's Abraham, fresh off receiving this promise from God, I'm going to give you so many children, I'm going to give you all these descendants, I'm going to do all this in your life. He hears this word. Here's a person who didn't have to wait. Here's a person who appears to be getting it all right now. And look, as we go through this Christian life, as we set our hopes upon heaven, our hopes upon Jesus' kingdom, there are going to be times where we are confronted with people who seemingly get it all right now, who get all the peace right now, all the prosperity right now, all the joy right now. And it's hard for us in those moments to keep pressing on, but Abraham, he waited. It was worth waiting for. It was worth pressing on, even while others prospered. All right, back to Hebrews chapter 6. Let's think about this next thing. Number three, God's promise is guaranteed. God's promise is guaranteed. This is not a maybe kind of thing, you know, like 
maybe the Lord's going to establish his kingdom. It is guaranteed. That's why it says in verse 16, for people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, that's us, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Here, here what the author is doing is he's just saying, hey, look, human beings, we all know how this works. You don't go down to the car lot and you know, tell them, hey, I want to buy this car right here. I don't have all the money for it today, but just trust me. You know, I'll take, I'll, I'll pay it, you know, in time. No, you sign a bunch of papers, you make a contract, you, the, the whole thing is designed so that they and you can appeal to a higher authority. Uh, that's why an oath would be made. So when we purchase things, when we enter into covenants or contracts, uh, we sign on the dotted line. And here he says God did the same thing. God made a guarantee. He made a promise with an oath that this promise that he made is going to come to pass. Now, now what was God's oath? How did God make an oath that the kingdom that he said that he would bring about, that the promise that he made to Abraham, how did God make an oath that that would certainly come to pass? All right, well, I, th I think there's two main ways. W one way is you just have to think about the book that you're holding in your hands today. In, in, one, in one sense, this book is God's way of making his promise, his covenant, his contract with us that he is going to do what he said. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 that not even one stroke or dot of an eye in the law of God is going to dissipate all of it will come to pass all right so 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 this 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 book is part of god's promise but another major way that god made a guarantee or a promise is by when every single person who believes in jesus when they come to christ when when you give your life to jesus the holy spirit comes to live inside of you you are born again you are regenerated and the spirit of god comes to live inside of you and that spirit of God in you is part of God's guarantee and promise that he is going to fulfill the things that he said to Abraham and that we are believing and receiving ourselves today. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 22 says, The spirit has been put into our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. All right, so that little part of you that says, I want to know God better, you know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit inside of you if you're a believer. The Holy Spirit pulling you toward God, causing you to cry out, Romans 8, Abba, Father. And, and that spirit inside of you is part of God's way of saying, that's a little down payment for you of what is going to come. The new body, the new heavens, the new earth, it is yours. Uh, he repeats that same idea in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 5. God gave us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And Ephesians 1, verse 14 says it like this, that the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So it will, God's promise will come to pass. All right, so let's 
think about two more things as we wrap up our time in the Word today. Number four, think about this. We should hold fast to God's promise. We should hold fast to God's promise. Let's read in verse 18 together. It says, So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. This promise, he continues, is so secure, it's made firm by two unchangeable things. Those two unchangeable things are God's oath, he made a promise, but also his character. That's why he says it's impossible for God to lie. You know, so God's oath and God's character mean that this thing will come to pass. So, because of that, we who have fled for refuge can have strong encouragement or are urged strongly to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. Now, we have to remember why he's saying this right now in the first place. I don't know if you remember this from a few weeks ago, but we were kind of trucking along through the book of Hebrews, and, and the author had this big idea about Jesus. Jesus is, he said, our great high priest. You know, there's a, there's a tabernacle on earth, or was, a t- and a temple on earth, or was, and that temple had rooms where you could go in, and it symbolized being in the presence of God. But the author tells us, those things were just a shadow of the heavenly reality, that God has a throne room. And Jesus, like the priests who used to go into the earthly holy of holies jesus when he ascended went into the real holy of holies and he went there to make access for you and me to the living god and he had this whole vision this whole desire like i want to talk about jesus the great high priest that we can turn to that we can follow god but as he thought about it and wrote about it he realized i'm dealing with some jewish christians who are being tempted to neglect the reality, going to spend time with God in, by faith in the real throne room, they want to neglect that by partaking again of the shadow, you know, the earthly temple or the earthly tabernacle. So he had to encourage them. He had to exhort them for a little while. He wanted to talk about Jesus as the high priest, but he had to put that on pause so that he could say, keep going. Don't be like those who give up on Jesus. Keep going, keep moving, keep pursuing him and your relationship with him. In the same way, we learn for ourselves that we also should have a strong encouragement to continue to hold fast to that hope that is set before us. There should be this thing in our hearts that says, Through every trial, through every sickness, through every argument, through every temptation, through every weakness, through every despair in life, I am going to hold fast to that hope that is mine, that promise that God has given to me. Because this promise is worth holding on to. That's what he's communicating here. Strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. Now, this gets into some very practical, real stuff for our everyday lives. And I want you to, like I said earlier, I want you to really be thinking about your own life. 
is the promise that God made to me, is that affecting and influencing my mentality today? Am I, am I holding fast to that promise? Or am I forgetting that promise and therefore shaken by every event of life? Here he says we must hold fast to the hope Christ has set before us. This leads us all beautifully to the final thing I want to show you today. Number five, God's promise should anchor our lives today. Verse 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's kind of his way when he talks about the high priest and Melchizedek to get back to the point that he wants to make. And he'll be talking about that in chapter 7, 8, 9, and following. But the thing that he says here is that what we have from the Lord, this promise that God made first to Abraham and now to us, this promise should anchor our lives today. That's why he says, it's a steadfast anchor of the soul or an anchor for our lives. Now think about what an anchor is like. You know, we're, a, we're a people that live, you know, right on the coast, so we're familiar with that imagery, the idea of an anchor. An anchor is needed when storms come, right? When, when storms come, when divorce or trauma or ministry failure or different things come into a person's life, uh, an anchor is required. And what he's saying to us is that the hope of heaven, the promise of Abraham, that kingdom that is ours, that promise is that anchor that helps us through those experiences. Another thing about anchors is that they are only helpful when they are unseen. You think about that. If you're out in a boat and the storm is churning around and your boat is tossed to and fro, and you're thinking, man, we're, you know, this is, we're not looking good. And you're like, we should have the anchor down. And you look and the anchor is still there in the boat. That's not good. It's not helping you. You see, the disciples, they panicked when Jesus said, I'm going to leave you. But when he went into eternity, what he was creating was, though he was unseen, an anchor for our souls today. An anchor also helps a person refrain from drifting and to stay solid and where they're supposed to be. Now, this is important because so many times I think we think of those who endure for a long time in the Christian life as those who have great willpower or those who are naturally just committed and devoted people. Or just people who happen to be naturally strong. They're not affected. They're not highly emotional. They're stoic. Those are the people who can endure for a long time. But that's not what the author tells us. The people who can make it in the Christian life and keep on enduring are those who connect to that promise, that anchor of the soul that's found in Jesus. The promise that God made to Abraham and beyond to us. It is the anchor, not our toughness or willpower, that keep us from drifting. And the wonderful thing about our anchor is that it does not go down into the sea. It goes up. This anchor goes up 
into the very throne room of God. That's why he says in verse 20, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. What that means, Jesus is the forerunner, it's like saying he's the scout. He's the first to go. He's the first one to make the journey because he's going to bring all of his people also on that journey. He went first so that we could go second with him in that great and final resurrection. And that reality should, like I said, anchor our lives today. It should strengthen our lives for today. And that was Abraham. He was a man, he, as he went through all those promises, I imagine there were so many days where he thought, I would just love to live it now. I would love to experience it now. And if you're anything like me, I'm sure there's days where you think, heaven, that would be good now. Today would be a good day for that, you know. Today would be a great time to experience all of that, the healings or the freedom or the justice or the righteousness or the unity, today would be a great day to experience that. But for the believer, our hope goes beyond just what we see now in this experience. You see, this is what, for so many people, what is causing such uproar in their lives today. They want to have all these things now and think they can create it now. The justice, the unity, the peace, and prosperity for all, all of those things. And we should fight for many of those things, but the reality is, Our hope is in what the Lord is going to produce eternally. And so Abraham believed the Lord, and we also must trust and believe him today. Thank you for listening. If you'd like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our senior pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.